You want to take your Bibles from Acts chapter 14 today. We'll be there in a few moments. We are in a study of the book of Acts on Sunday mornings, and we're going to continue that study this morning. On Wednesday nights, I've been preaching some caveats from the book of Acts. And uh, I wouldn't, I don't normally would make this request, but um, if you were not able to be here this past Wednesday and you are a member or a regular attender here, I would ask you sometime in the next few weeks to make the effort to listen to that Wednesday night, night message. Not because it's good, but because it's really a companion thought of what I'm sharing today. You know, Eastland is a church that has all kinds of foibles and frailties and things wrong with it. And yet we still strive to sort of Lord and, and be honest and authentic here. And there's things in my mind and heart that I want to be part of the fabric of our church family. And the message Wednesday, and I'll mention it today, was, you know, don't be a troublemaker. You know, Eastland's over 50 years old, and part of that reason it's 50 years old and happy and healthy today, which, by the way, the average lifespan of a church from inception to death is 50 years, and then they tend to be gone, is because there are certain attributes that allow it to be sustained. And, and we could argue what all those are, <clears throat> but not being a troublemaker helps. Um, it just helps when people aren't looking for what's wrong, but rather they can find what's right in something. And I think for those who have eyes to see it and a heart to discern it, there's a lot right here and, and, and probably a lot of other places as well. And it, it, would be, um, it would be wrong for us to learn to see things from the different slant or, or find what's you know, wrong with a place. And in the same way, today's thought, um, and I don't know if you've ever seen a m message entitled Rugged Christianity before. Um, that's maybe a little bit novel. I, I don't know that we can long endure if we don't have that quality, um, if we're not rugged. And so that's what I'm going to preach about this morning from the, the book of Acts chapter 14. So I want to ask you to stand with me. We'll read the entire chapter. And we do that for the sake of context. And I'm looking at big picture ideas as we navigate through the book of Acts. And what I want you to do is actually cast your eyes back on chapter 13, verse 49. And Paul and Barnabas were preaching, and verse 49 says, And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. So they're doing God's bidding, they're preaching. But verse 50 says, But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city. In other words, <clears throat> there was the preaching and proclaiming of what was right, people were living good lives, and all of a sudden there was opposition to that. And yet, verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy. So you have doing right met with opposition. And yet the people survived and had happy hearts. Y'all catching that? People were doing what's right. They were met with opposition, but they survived it. Amen. Not even just survived it, they were happy. Now look in verse 1 of chapter 14. And it came to pass in Iconium that they both went together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both the Jews and also the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. And made their minds ill-affected against the brethren. Long time, therefore, both they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony to the word of His grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done in their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully, that means Barnabas and Saul, and to stone them. They were aware of it, 
Paul and Barnabas, and fled unto Lystra and Derbes, a city in Laconia, and to the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. <laughs> I don't want to be missed. They did right, were met with wrong, but they kept doing right. Verse 8, And there sat a certain man of Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a crippled from his mother's womb, who never had walked. And the same heard Paul speaking, steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And now, this is an incredible miracle because here's a man who's never walked. So you talk about atrophy, you know, and yet he had strength to leap. This is just an awesome miracle. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. He talked a lot. <laughs> then the priests of Jupiter, which had before their city, brought oxen and garlands into the gates, and would have done sacrifice with the people. Which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of, they rent their clothes. And, and this was always a response of the Jews to abomination. And, you know, you don't worship men. And ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why you do these things? We also are men of like passions with you. And preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. And so here we see a kind of an example of preaching to pagans who had no knowledge of God. You know, Paul starts at the beginning and, you know, this, this is a man that was miraculously healed. And this response, and then Paul says, no, look to God. And then verse 19, we, we kind of keep returning to the same narrative or theme over and over. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch. Now, this is Antioch of Pisidia, um, where they were run out of the city. And Iconium, that's another place where they were run out of the city, who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul. So at this point, they just didn't stir up trouble, they caused trouble. They, they, these few people had the power to create a mob to the point of stoning these men. And having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, who are these disciples? Newly saved people. He rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, Okay, hold on. You know, there's all these great things to preach about, and I always read between the lines, and I know that. But is that, do you just miss any of this? Like he was just stoned. Like trauma time. I need a break. You know, so in the next sentence, he was stoned, he got up, and then he goes to another city and starts preaching. Like I just, you just can't skip that part. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, and it taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. Okay, I, I get ahead of myself in preaching. Did you, just, did you just hear what was read? Like, what is he? Okay, he went to these cities. No, 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 no. He returned again to the very cities he was run out of. 
where he was stoned. All this great preaching material, this is what catches my attention. This guy go back, he goes back to trouble. And he returns. And verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that they must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord of whom they believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word of in, in Perga, they went down to Attilia and then sailed to Antioch. This is the place where they started from whence they had been recommended the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how they had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. Today we're going to talk about rugged Christianity. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the text today and Lord, this assembly. Lord, I pray you'd help us to Lord, have appreciation and insight into everything in this chapter. But Lord, I pray we wouldn't miss Lord, this obvious lesson that despite opposition and trouble, Paul continued. And Lord, I ask for your help with this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for standing. Acts chapter 14 brings us about halfway through Paul's first missionary journey. For those who may not know, Paul's life in the book of Acts and you're really the, the writer of the New Testament really encompasses three missionary journeys that the Apostle Paul took. Uh, this first one into uh, Cyprus and then Galatia would have been his first one. And we're about halfway through with this journey. Having been sent out of Antioch, which would have been a region of southern Turkey, uh, Paul and his companions Barnabas and John Mark sailed to Cyprus, an island of about 90 miles long and 10 miles wide, 60 miles from the coast. They sailed there, this being the hometown of Barnabas, a logical reason for going there. He understood the city. And upon arrival, they preached from one end of the island to another. Uh, again, 90 miles of walking up and down hills through difficult terrain. I made a point of this Wednesday. There was a lot of effort given to preaching the gospel. And from there, having accomplished their mission in Cyprus, they sailed west into what we would call uh, maybe east or western Turkey, Europe, and he landed in a place called Perga. Now, no details of ministry about that are revealed to us in the book of Acts at this point. Uh, but they made their way from Perga, uh, which would have been up the mountains into this place called Antioch. And this is a different Antioch. This is in the region of, 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 of Perga in, in western Turkey. And they made their way there. They preached twice in that city. The first with the invitation and the second as well. And many were saved. And it's, it's a great, glorious story. Everywhere Paul and Barnabas went, people were saved. But as expected, fierce opposition also arose from the Jewish leaders who felt threatened by people's turning to Christ in great numbers. It was obvious to Paul and Barnabas, now minus John Mark, that they couldn't continue in that city because of the opposition was so great. And so they left and or fled to a place called Iconium. And this is further inland, you know, even from where, where they were, to uh, cities called Lystra and Derbe. These are all prov provincial cities of Rome inhabited by both Jews and Greeks. Well, there, their evangelistic efforts were once again fruitful. Everywhere they preached, people were saved. 
In each city they started in the synagogue first, this was Paul's heart, to see his brethren saved. And then they would preach to the Gentiles. And again, in these cities many were saved, but predictably opposition arose again in time. If you look with me at verse number two of our text, uh, the Bible says that the Jews stirred up and they stirred up trouble. And this is what we discussed on Wednesday, that they, they stirred up, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. Here people are using their influence to turn a crowd into a mob. And, and those dynamics are interesting, which we have talked about. But when a plan or that plan of that mob was uncovered by Paul and Barnabas, they left that city, Iconium, and they traveled to the next cities, Lystra and Derbe. In, in Lystra, we read the story, a lame man was miraculously healed. It's a great story. And the Bible says that he both walked and leapt. Well, the people, you know, who saw that, um, they were amazed by it. And they thought a great miracle had been done and that the only people who could do miracle were, were gods. And so the people, these pagans, begin to call Paul and Barnabas the Greek gods who they served, uh, you know, Mercurius or Mercury and, and Jupiter. And they began to worship them. And they were going to, you know, uh, sacrifice these cows and cattle to them. And, and, and Paul and Barnabas rent their clothes. This is not going to happen. This is an abomination. We came here to point you to God, not be worshipped as God. We're, we're going to turn you from this vain kind of religion. And, and so they, they did. They were able to halt the proceedings. Well, these people who had goodwill, who, who saw Paul and Barnabas as gods, because of the efforts of some Jews who followed Paul and Barnabas from Iconium and Antioch, um, they began to stir them up into a mob mentality. And so this, this kind of breaks my brain and, and maybe yours. Paul and Barnabas come to the city. They do a great miracle. Everybody likes them. And then this group of busybodies, troublemakers, come from these other two cities, following behind Paul and Barnabas. And I don't know what they say or how they do it, but they, they, they turn these would-be adorers into a violent mob. And you say, how can that happen? I don't know. People are weird. <laughs> I mean, think about Jesus. You know, within a week, he comes into the city, and they're throwing stuff at his feet and saying, here's the new king. And then a week later, they crucify him. This is the nature of people. We're so easily influenced in this mob mentality. This is, the, this is why being a troublemaker is such a problem, because the influence is, is, is inordinate. We have more power than maybe we, we should as human beings. But they get stirred up. So the people who were just adoring them within days are now stoning them. And they knocked Paul unconscious. They assumed he was dead. They dragged him out of the city, left him there. But in verse 20, the Bible tells us the disciples, and the old disciples who had, who had been there were the new believers that Paul had just won to the Lord, maybe days or weeks earlier. They surround him. And, and I'm assuming they prayed, you know, for Paul. And dead or not, I don't know. Uh, but he recovered. And, and then he leaves for Derby to do what just got him stoned. Okay, I, I just... This, He's saying I'm Captain Obvious. I just want you to see it. He gets up from being stoned to go do the very thing that got him stoned. And he preached again. He was not to be deterred. But now here's where the real courage, resolve, and commitment are demonstrated to me. So he, he gets to these, the terminal end of this, this city. Now there's lots of other cities he could have progressed onto. Like the, he just could have kept going. He, he could have just like made a beeline for the coast and head back to Antioch. 
But instead, the Bible says, if you follow this progression of, of the names of these cities, he goes back. Okay, he goes back. So he, he starts here, he, you know, he, he lands on the shores you know, of Galatia. And he, and he preaches to these cities and he's getting in trouble and trouble and trouble and trouble and trouble. Here he gets stoned. He goes to one more city. And then, you know, after all this trouble, he goes, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to the places that caused me all this trouble. The places where the Jews had followed him from with the intent to kill him. So but going back, it's a little bit different. Instead of evangelizing, he confirms the new believers. And the Bible tells us some very specific things that were done that all merit, I suppose, study at some point. He encouraged them. He exhorted them. And he placed leadership beneath the churches. In other words, he formed churches. He says, you guys get together. You become a church. And I'm going to put leadership here. I'm going to appoint elders. Press Buteros. It's the word for, we would use for pastors in part today. And he says he places leadership here so these churches can continue. And here's what he says. Hey, life's going to be hard, but you go ahead and endure. This is the encouraging word he gives these people. You know, there's so many doctrinal things he could have taught, so many encouraging things he could have said. Your life in Christ will make you health, wealthy, and prosperous, all stuff. But instead he says this hey, this is really hard. It's tough, but you endure to the end. He encourages them to be faithful despite difficulty, to continue in their faith. It won't be easy. And through much tribulation do people enter into the kingdom of God. He left them with the notion. That true Christian faith will always result in opposition. You know, no one said amen to that. He left them with the notion that true, true Christian faith will always result in opposition. As a matter of fact, when he says requisite, the idea is requisite. In other words, you don't have to suffer to be the kingdom of God. But in Paul's mind, it's just axiomatic. It's like peanut butter and jelly. They go together. You can't have one without the other. This is not my thought today, but this principle I'll just lay out there. I think perhaps the only way that you and I avoid opposition in the Christian life is either through disobedience or compromise. I know it's not fun preaching, but it seems to be implied in the text. But I'll move on. So he does these things, places elders in the church, continues and exhorts. And here's what's remarkable. They, they did survive and they grew. Now, contextually think about it. This mob stones Paul. They're not happy. But the disciples he won remained. They stayed faithful in that hostile environment. And we have indication these churches survived. From there they began to make their way back to the coast. And from there they sailed all the way back to the original city of Antioch. Um, this great church that commissioned them to go out initially. Now I want you to listen to this. So they, they get to Antioch and it's like, hey, Eastland Baptist Church, I'm home. I'm on this journey. Everybody come back. So you're all sitting here today. And I, I'm standing at the pulpit. I said, hey, let me tell you what God did. I went out there and preached and Gentiles got saved. And everyone claps and cheers. That's awesome. And we got churches established. And everyone claps and cheers. It, it, it is a great celebration. The doors to the Gentile world was open and they're all celebrating. 
And I can't tell you it didn't happen. I'm just saying it's not recording the text. Nothing here is said of his trials and tribulations or his near-death experience at all. Here was a man rejoicing that people were saved, and that's all that's reported. Now, he records his suffering in, the, in, in other text, but there's no indication he did it here. Can you imagine that happened to us? Man, we would light that up on our Facebook post. <laughs> See me here near dead? See these people throwing rocks at me? You know, I'm not being we've been counseling for months. No, I'm, I'm just put, I'm trying to make this real to you. Like we just read through this stuff really fast. You know, we, we study the cities, like, whatever. And we miss, like, he returned. The guy went back. He saw everything as a positive. Again, Wednesday night, we looked at these same verses, you know, verse 2 and 19, where people stirred up trouble. They persuaded others to have an evil mind. We rehearsed at length how people, when they feel threatened, hurt, personally injured in their own minds, can become troublemakers. People are not content to have their own little hurt. They have to share it. They have to incite it. They have to inflame it. They have to spread their evil to others. In so doing, people become evil affected, as the text says. People who would otherwise be benign and happy to circumstance can also be enlightened that everything's wrong in the church. Everything's wrong in life. Everything's wrong at my company. A few people have that power. We can turn a crowd into a mob. Otherwise, kind, intelligent women were turned into gossip, slanders, and evil thinkers. Otherwise, good men were turned into stone throwers, antagonists, righteously indignant in their own minds. And so my caution, and I'm going to use it again because it's so important, God's people should never, ever, under any circumstances, be troublemakers. If there's a problem, deal with it scripturally, but don't be a troublemaker. Don't stir up. Don't persuade others. Don't speak evil of other people. When we do that, we very well could be fighting against God and all the time and effort He's put into seeing people helped. And it's not our job to tear them down. So to get to our message today, <clears throat> on the opposite side of that spectrum, not only should we not be troublemakers, undermining the effort of God and others, but we should be resilient. We should be courageous. And I'm going to use a word that makes sense to me. Okay? You should be, as a child of God, tough. Yeah. Amen. Not lots of sermons preached on being tough. And there's a reason for that. But you should be. Because Paul was. And Jesus was. Despite the ugliness of others... And the repeated efforts to thwart the efforts of God, Barnabas, and Saul, these men continued. They remained undaunted. They were even encouraged. In the text, they returned to the hurt that hurt them. I, I mean, you see this in verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up. And then in verse 3, long time they stayed. <laughs> I don't mean, just from my desk, this stuff just, you know, I, I see this. So in other words, there were people here that stirred up trouble, but despite that, we stayed a long time in the church. Despite all you know, efforts to discourage me and you hurt my feelings, this stuff happened a long time, they stayed in the church. They just a long time endured. I, I just want you to see, like this happened so fast in the text, this juxtaposition, 
But trouble was stirred up, but they stayed anyway. In verse 19, And there came to their certain Jews from Antioch who persuaded to the point of stoning. And then in verse 21, how, or verse 20, how be it, he rose up. How be it, verse 21, he returned again. I don't know what words you use for that. In my common thinking, that's tough. There are many ways, adjectives and superlatives used to describe the Apostle Paul. But it would be a great omission to leave out the words rugged and tough. You know, these, these verses bear repeating. And let me find a couple of these. You, you can just listen. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, um, verse 25, I want you to hear Paul. And he says, um, of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one, thrice, thrice, like one wasn't enough. He didn't quit after one. He didn't quit after two. He didn't quit after three beatings. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by heathen, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst and fasting, often in cold and nakedness. And beside all that, I had a group of people in all these churches who were always complaining. And I survived it. Okay, you use what you want. Well, that's just God, that was God's grace. Well, of course it's God's grace manifesting itself in toughness. The grace that can make you good can make you tough. If we turn back to chapter 4, I think, of that same book, 2 Corinthians 4, let me see if I can find it. I'll start in verse 8. Just listen. We are troubled on every side and not distressed. We are perplexed, but not despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body that dying of the Lord Jesus, the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And so he goes on to talk about this. In verse 15, for all things are for your sakes. So I do all of this. I am tough. I endure. I persevere. I continue because people need to hear the gospel. People need to see someone who serves Christ who won't quit. And he does. Okay, now listen. Something I've learned in long observation over the course of ministry and in life, culture, just culture. Okay. Um, and and, and I, I get my comments are jaded from my perspective, but I'm preaching. Toughness has and is languishing in contemporary modern culture as well as Christianity. Amen. Toughness is languishing. There, was a, there were generations that arose that had to be tough of necessity. As a culture, we are not that. We're, we are the opposite. We are dopamine addicted. We look at our phone every 15 seconds because I have to have a hit of a pleasure dopamine that makes me more happy and comfortable. And God forbid I have to go 45 minutes in a sermon because that's hard. So if I look at my phone four times, I've got to have drugs in me to make it. 
It's literally. Because that's what's happening when you, when you look at it. The body's releasing drugs that make you happy, that get you through the difficulty and the ordeal of life. We're so used to climate controlled, comfy seats. I'm not going to finish at 11.30, but time sermons. <laughs> I make you be tough a little bit. <laughs> Toughness is languishing. I'm, you know, I'm not saying there's not a good reason for it. I rode a bike without knee pads. I didn't wear a helmet. Yes, I'm brain damaged, but whatever. <laughs> I'm not against those things. That's not my point. That's not my point. But safety first as the ultimate priority? Seriously? You can't have a church that way. Today, the better words to describe modern culture are sensitive and tender and soft. Now, if those words are being used to describe your heart, that's awesome. If it's used to describe your life, you're in trouble. I'm talking about being tough in terms of mentality, perseverance, overcoming injury, offense, inconvenience. There we are in trouble. Toughness is a skill. It is a learned behavior. It is not innate. Some people aren't born tough and others soft. No, people are made this way. Mental and physical ruggedness are cultivated. You have to train to be tough. Tough, my word. The capability of overcoming stressful, difficult situations or environments without stopping. And I might add, in maintaining a good attitude, not always complaining. Toughness is the ability to keep performing well, regardless of circumstances. The ability to withstand adverse circumstances without crying, whining, quitting, and bailing out. Toughness is not to be confused with strength. They are not the same thing. Some guy could come up here and lift 450 pounds and then be a softie when it comes to enduring anything. They're not the same thing. In other words, you know, <clears throat> unless I have a, the air-conditioned, perfectly controlled, right equipment to lift my weights in, if I have to do it outside in the heat and all that, I'm out. One is strength, one is toughness. So, I, you know, I've been reading all these books on aging lately. <clears throat> and one of the challenges was going barefoot. I hate going barefoot. I've lived my whole life with shoes on. I take them off as I go to bed. And so this guy's talking about, you know, barefoot and that, you know, we're losing foot strength and you lose stability as you get older. So, you know, you just, have to just go barefoot. Like, it's good for you in a thousand ways for your posture and all this stuff. So I'm like, you know, say anything, but don't tell me to go bare feet because that's just weird. It's gross. And I, <laughs> you know, so I'm going bare feet. And I'm walking out in the yard and I make this discovery. I'm not tough. <laughs> I'm not. So Terry goes bare feet all the time. All the time. And so here's, you know, here's the great discovery of my life. I'm strong, but she's tough. And of course, that's true for lots of men and women. But anyway, we won't make broader applications than that. Because men are really, you know, they're really tough when they get sick. But anyway, we won't move there. (laughs) 
in the Christian world, folks, we have these kind of deficiencies like that. We're strong. I read my Bible. I memorize verses. I got my doctrine down. I use the right Bible. I see sin a mile away. All to be commended. But then someone hurts, someone hurts your feelings and you're out. It's hard to go to church and you stop coming. Something is done and you just, you know, shipwrecked and beaten and all this stuff. Can you imagine any of us staying for this stuff? Some people are great servants, but they, they can't handle a little bit of opposition. I feel about this issue, the way Jesus spoke to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, but you have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, faith, and toughness. That's not in there, but that's my... <laughs> These ought you to have done and not left the others undone. And I'm here to tell you, toughness is often omitted and left undone. And it shows. That's why preachers are so afraid sometimes to preach pointed messages. Because he's not persuaded that people are tough enough to take it without injury and offense. It's not true here, and you know it, because I don't let it be, but you get the idea. Paul went to these cities with truth, the gospel, with love, with grace. But what kept him there was mental, emotional, spiritual toughness. He was rugged. The grace that made him a good person made him a, a tough person. In, in this context, 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for thee. In other words, Paul, what's my grace for? To get you through what? Difficulty. Difficulty. The application for us is this. We have to be tough enough to overcome injury and offense to hold together as God's people in a church. We have to be able to survive us not getting our way, things going wrong, people not always praising you, people not always noticing, having people who have contrary opinions, people who don't like you. It's all okay. Those are all human experiences, and you need to be tough enough to deal with all of that. I don't have time for this, but like Jesus did in 1 Peter chapter 2, reviled, he reviled not again. They made it so hard for him to go from where he was, you know, to what he wanted to do, and everywhere his whole life was opposition, but he was not deterred. You can describe that in terms of grace or whatever else, but again, the application in terms of our perception is the the Lord was tough. I perceive him as burly and strong. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, despising the shame. He continued. He just kept going, not quitting, not getting even, not developing a bad attitude, but maintaining grace, calm, and a good spirit. It means we have to be bigger than our circumstances. The point I made Wednesday. Okay, just listen to this. Job description. Applicants welcome. Travel thousands of miles on foot. Suffer deprivation, hunger, thirst. Be exposed to the elements constantly. Willingness to be beaten more than once. Stoned and left for dead. Shipwrecked multiple times. Snake bit. Opposed. Threatened. Harassed, betrayed, 
persecuted. There won't be one easy victory. There are only uphill climbs. And in all of this, I want you to have joy, rejoice, be at peace, never be a victim, and encourage other people to do what you're doing. You distill that into whatever word you want to, that's tough. Jeremiah in chapter 1 is so insightful. Jeremiah is called to be a, a spokesman to the people. He's probably a teenager. And God says, I want you to go out there and you know, tear down and build up. I want you to face kings and people whose faces will always be opposed to you. And he basically says this, you're going to need to be a brazen wall, a steeled city. You know what he's saying? You're going to have to be a punching ball, a punching bag, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah's struggling. He says, don't tell me you're a child, be a man. I don't want to hear that. You're serving me. Grow up and be a man. Not a popular phrase in today's world, but the idea is um, biblical. Watch ye, quit ye fast, be, be a man. David's path to the throne was through death threats in the wilderness. Daniel lived in a hostile country, survived the lion's den. Elijah, Moses, Isaiah, disciples, same path. Noah persevere, persevered for decades, building an ark that no one had ever seen for a rain that no, has never occurred, and yet he was undeterred. I, all, I say all that to, to suggest to you in terms of the most practical application, and please look up here and I'm almost done. Try to get along with each other. Try to come to church. Pass out a track. Go to outreach. <laughs> the lists aren't comparable, and yet we struggle with it. We're not talking about, we're talking about being inconvenienced, much less being tough. Get along. Survive whatever was said and, and don't retaliate back and still have grace enough to go to church with the same person. Um, can, I, can I suggest to you that you can become tougher by training yourself? Toughness like strength and grace grows when cultivated. I got this new bicycle at home. It's not a bicycle, it's an indoor bike. And so I bought this subscription and this guy comes on the screen and he tells me what to do. So I'm looking at where I started and this ride is 26 minutes, all uphill. And the whole time, you know, he's doing this. And I'm, and I'm like at minute 18 thinking, this is so dumb. <laughs> and I wanna quit. But I'm thinking, this is really silly. No, it's a failure, don't, don't quit. And I, I sh I'm thinking, I should have got an 18-minute ride. But I signed up for this. Now, here's the deal. I'm literally fighting this battle in my brain. And my shirt is drenched. Terry's laughing at me. And I am thinking, don't quit. Like, don't be, forgive me, don't be a sissy. Don't be that guy. And no one knows but Terry, me, and the guy on the screen. And he doesn't, he can't see me. <laughs> and so you finish 26 minutes. And in the end, what do you get? Well, you need a new shirt. Um, <laughs> what do you get? I don't know. 
That much more towards deafness? Use other words, perseverance, long-suffering. You can use Bible words. You get the idea. You got to train for that. In other words, accept small discomforts in life. Accept that it's not always easy to come back to church on a Sunday night or a Wednesday or to faithfully attend a Bible class or to be a part of outreach or to share your faith or to be nice to someone who's mean to you. Like that's not easy, but if you don't practice it, what are you going to do when the world comes apart? Because it's going to come apart. I'm no prophet, but look, it's going to come apart. We live in the culture of dopamine fix, convenience, scrolling, all which makes us more comfortable. Beyond that, every one of us are overnourished. We like our comfort. We hate inconvenience. We spend little time training. You and I need to deliberately seek inconvenience. We need to d deliberately seek toughness the same way that people go to the gym or go on a diet or anything else. If you give effort to any of that, put your phone away and try to survive it. Do what's inconvenient in your life. Put the fork away. <laughs> Take a cold shower. That's really tough. I'm not being silly. How are we going to navigate Eastland Baptist Church, a world that is going to continue to spiral out of control? How are we going to survive that when some struggle to survive what we have today? I'm not, this is not an apocalyptic sermon of warning. Uh, this is the pastor who's been of a church who's been here for a long time, who wants to see it continue for a long time, and we can't do it minus this quality, Christian ruggedness. Be tough. Train yourself. Train your kids. Encourage your grandkids. And be this for us in this church. Let me ask you to stand today if you would.